be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Jamie Ingram. It's my privilege to get to be with you today and open God's Word with you. If you don't know who I am, I am the worship and missions pastor here at the church. Today we are going to be in Revelation chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. One of the great things about Desert Springs is that they are always, always so many awesome, wonderful, amazing things going on here at the church. It's one of my favorite things about Desert Springs is when there are ministry opportunities, we love to go for them. One of the challenging things with that, though, is sometimes there's so many things that are going on that maybe it's a little difficult to know each and everything that's going on. And so I just wanted to make a plea uh, today for all of you to be praying for our young adult team that is going to be traveling to Osaka, Japan this summer. Uh, We're going in July. It's very exciting. I can't wait to go. Uh, This is for me. If you've been around me, you know Japan is my passion, and so I'm very excited to be able to get back there. Uh, And actually, we start our training tomorrow night, which is going to be really fun. So be praying for those students. It's going to be a great trip. Uh, In preparation, though, for that trip, I had the opportunity just about a month ago uh, to take Pastor Daniel, our young adults, and middle school pastor, and my wife Lydia over to Japan so that we can meet with the church, see how things were going, make sure we understand travel restrictions and all that fun stuff for when we're over there. And it was a really wonderful time getting to see J House Church, all the things that they're doing, the way the Lord's blessing and moving in their ministry. It was really cool. You may have noticed, though, that I said that both me and my wife were leaving to go on this trip. My kids did not come with us. Somebody had the privilege, and I didn't do air quotes, okay, I really worked hard on that, of watching my kids while we were gone. And those somebodies was Pastor Steve and Tammy, my mom and dad. Now, for those of you that have had this experience before, you know that there are mixed feelings when you leave your kids with somebody else. There's joy and elation to not be around your kids for a week. And there's a little bit of fear and trepidation at what the report is going to be when you get back. You see, as someone who has not spent a lot of time away from their kids, I would like to keep being able to be away from my kids. And if they burn the house down, it's hard to do that. I kind of knew what it was going to be, all right? If you know my family, we have... Three wonderful, incredibly loving, strong-willed little girls. And my son, Peter. Now, Peter, he is the oldest. He is tender-hearting. He is loving. He is a good kid. He just wants to do what's good. You know, that he's so great. He's really low-maintenance. Almost to the point where I, I feel a little bit bad for Peter. You know, like we've got to intentionally spend time being like, is Peter getting enough attention? Because his sisters just naturally tend to get a lot more attention. Maybe it's because they let the dog loose in the back of the house where the dog's not supposed to be or because it was nap time and May really didn't want to take a nap so she decided to let us know about it or whatever that thing is. But the girls tend to get a lot of the attention. 
And because Peter is able to do his chores on his own, and he's able to put himself to bed, and because he's able to, uh, to do his own homework, I mean, the kid really is kind of self-sustaining. And so we have to be kind of careful to make sure Pete gets attention. Not because we don't love him, but just because he's a little bit more of a low-maintenance guy who likes to stay in the background. And that was making me think of Peter today as I came to our passage, because we're going to be talking today about one of the New Testament authors that just gets a little bit less love than all the others. When you think about a New Testament author, you think about guys like Paul, right? Missionary extraordinaire, right? He's going all over the places. He's getting shipwrecks. He's having crazy stuff happen to him. We think about Paul. We think about Peter. Peter, who just, God bless him, that guy was so good at talking before he thought about what he had said. The rock of the church. We don't often think about John. John, who walked with Jesus. John, who was a pillar of the early church. John, who wrote five books of the New Testament. So today, we're going to give John his due. Even here in Revelation... Rightfully so, we've spent a lot of time so far talking about Jesus because Jesus shows up and he's beginning this letter and there's all this great stuff that's happening. But now as we come to verse 9, John takes a little step back, he peels back the curtain and he gives us a little look into his life and what he's going through at this time. So let's read Revelation chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9. He writes, I, John... Your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Today, I want us to take a look at John. And specifically, what I want us to see here is how John describes himself in this passage, and how John describes his situation in this passage. Because what I want to get to the heart of today is here is a faithful worker of God, and what was his perspective on life? Because before even God shows up with this task, John was living faithfully for the Lord. And that's what we as believers want to be about too. So let's dive in. And we'll start with John's description of himself. I want to start with how John describes himself. And for a very specific reason. Because if we think about John, probably for most of us, if I were to ask you, what do you think about John? The description that you would use is probably not from the book of Revelation. When we think about John, we think about John, the beloved disciple. We think about John, the apostle. Maybe you even think about 3 John, where John calls himself the elder. But here in Revelation, we see a very different picture of John from his own words. If we go all the way back up to verse 1... John says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And he, Jesus, made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. 
John calls himself a servant who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Christ, even to all that he saw. John says, look, if you want to know who I am, I'm a servant of Jesus. You want to know what comes out of my mouth? I am only witness to the things that God has done. In verse 9, our passage today says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are, on, are in Jesus. Right here from the very beginning, we see John's heart and his humility laid bare before us. John could easily have tried to start out this book by making you understand that it's important because it comes from John. He could have easily said, listen to me, I am the beloved disciple. I'm important. I'm an apostle, a pillar of the church. When I speak, you should listen. But that's not John's heart. John comes and says, look, if you want to know who I am, I'm Christ's servant. My job's to serve the king. The things I'm telling you, they're only to give witness to Jesus. When John calls himself a brother to these other believers, he's putting himself on their level. I'm one of you. We are in this together. I kind of like to contrast this a little bit with John's attitude in Mark chapter 10 when he and James are coming up to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, we just have a little question, a little request. You know, when you're ruling this whole kingdom thing, it'd be pretty cool if we could have a seat on the right and the left of you. Wouldn't that be good? Right, the pride in that situation, God's been working in John's life, and now here he is in his old age, and we see a very different John. A John that says, you want to know who I am? I am Christ's servant. I exist to serve the king. I love these biblical figures that we get to see God working in them throughout the course of their life. It makes me think of King David, right? King David in the Psalms, in his earlier Psalms, he's basically just writing and saying, hey God, it'd be cool if you could just smite everybody. That would be awesome, right? And then by Psalm 23, we see David in a very different perspective. He says, look, if you want me, God, to sit in the presence of my enemies, if you want me to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as long as you are there, that's where I want to be because I just want to be with you. I am so thankful for these examples of people who God worked on throughout their life because it gives me hope. God's not done with me. God's working on me. God's growing me. God's changing me to be more like him. John calls himself a partner, a fellow partaker. And he's doing this to relate to his audience because many believers during this time were facing persecution and it would be easy to think that because of John's status as, a, as an apostle, as a pillar of the church, that maybe he had avoided this persecution. But that wasn't the case. The idea of these three phrases, in affliction, in kingdom, and in endurance, is to give evidence to that first idea. What John is saying is, as believers living in the kingdom of God, we are presently facing affliction and must endure as we push towards Christ. I don't know why, but in my mind, this paints the picture of John. He's, he's like one of those leaders that just has to be at the front lines, right? There came a day when, when you lead an army, you're the guy that sits in a conference room, gets a cup of coffee brought to you, and you just make decisions from there. But there was a time when if you were leading an army, you stood out there at the front lines, and when charge was called, you ran out there first so everybody would follow you. 
That's John. Arm in arm, we're in the trenches together. We're facing affliction, and we're going to go through this together for Christ. To be that kind of leader, to be a partner in affliction, meant that John himself was going to have to face a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. To go through that affliction required great humility. And to live for Christ in the face of persecution is hard. But John was willing to do it for Jesus. To be honest with you, in my own pride, my own selfishness, it, it would have been easy for me at least to say, you know what, I, I've done a lot already. Maybe just pull me out of some of this persecution. Maybe a little less affliction for me. But that was not John's heart. John comes to us with extreme humility. And to be honest with you, it's probably a good thing that he had this perspective because John was in a very difficult situation. Take a look at verse 9 again. He gives us a situation. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He says, I was on the island called Patmos. Now, if you don't know much about Patmos, I'm going to give you some details. The island of Patmos is about 40 miles off the coast of, and I'm going to mispronounce this. You can tell me how to correctly pronounce it later. I call this the Ingram privilege to mispronounce things. Off the coast of Miletus, I don't know, in Asia Minor. It's the last stop, and this is maybe the most important thing to know. It's the last stop when you're sailing from Rome to Ephesus. So if you're doing that long journey, about 40 miles out from Ephesus, there's this little tiny island called Patmos, and so it made a great stopping off point. It's a crescent moon-shaped uh, island, so it kind of looks like a little moon. It's about 10 miles long by 5 miles wide at its extremities. It was rocky and barren. But because of its proximity to Ephesus, it made it a great Roman penal colony. So if you got in trouble with the Roman Empire, this is probably where you're going to end up. So some interesting Christian tradition for you. If you look back at Acts 20, the town of Ephesus, you know that Paul ministered there for over two years. He was doing ministry and serving there. But after he left, Christian tradition tells us that John actually ended up coming to Ephesus and having many years of fruitful ministry there. You kind of see where this is going. It makes sense then that if John is ministering in Ephesus, which is only about 40 miles from this little tiny island, that when he runs afoul of the Roman Empire, that's probably where they're going to stick him. Now you may ask, well, okay, great, but why? Why was John sentenced to live on the Isle of Patmos? John actually gives us that answer right there in verse 9. He says, I was sentenced because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was living and preaching the gospel in Ephesus, and at some point, that preaching of the word got him into trouble. Now, we may have a hard time as Americans kind of understanding what it was for John to preach the gospel in this day and age. We don't have a Roman emperor that's over us that's raining down persecution on Christians. In fact, I was thinking about it. I mean, the things, what am I afraid of if I share the gospel here, right? It's like I, maybe people think I'm weird or they don't like what I have to say. Maybe they're mean to me. I mean, that's, that's about what we're talking about with my persecution today, our persecution today. For John, for believers in this time, if you were to preach the word of, gospel, uh, uh, the, word of God, the gospel, 
you were potentially risking your freedom, your home. Because they could pick you up and take you out and put you in exile and do things to you that we just don't experience today. And you may wonder what kind of life John lived on Patmos. I mean, I know that was my thought. Like, is this an island getaway? Is this a slap on the wrist kind of thing? I mean, what are we talking about? As much as we can tell from Christian uh, tradition and that kind of thing, it, it seems like probably for John this was a pretty difficult situation. We know he was able to write. He wrote the book of Revelation. He was able to do all that stuff here. But Christian tradition holds that while he was here, John was actually forced to work manual labor in the different mines that are on the island. You've got to put this in context, okay? Because for John, he's coming to this not early in life. He's coming to this later and probably near the end of his life. And so he's serving the Lord faithfully, and now he's been put into exile, and he's being forced to do this manual labor, and it was probably extremely difficult for him. So when John talks about being a fellow partaker in tribulation and affliction, he knows what he's talking about. By the time he arrived on Patmos, John was an old man who dedicated his years to preaching the good news to those at Ephesus. And that fervor for the Lord had brought persecution and now being exiled. With what little strength he had left, he's being forced to work in the mines. Probably a back-breaking endeavor. And yet what I love about John is that there was no quit in John. John just kept living for the Lord. John's perspective of life wouldn't allow his status or his situation to dictate how he lived. And I was thinking about this idea of John's perspective, and I just want to camp out here for a minute because I just think it's so good. I think we need to talk about this. You've got to think about where John is. John is about to have one of the most incredible and unique moments of his life. In a life filled with incredible and unique moments, this is an opportunity where John is going to hear the voice of God be told to write down incredible things that haven't happened yet and then to share that message with the world. But I was kind of struck by the reality that to get to that moment where he's hearing the trumpet sound and the voice of Jesus comes and all these incredible things start pouring out, John had to live a long life filled with a lot of persecution, with a lot of struggle. He had to endure for the Lord. I couldn't help but wonder how many of us would have given up long before we ever heard the voice of God on that island. John was an old man, but he never stopped serving the Lord. Retirement years didn't mean a retirement from serving the Lord for John. John faced persecution. His own brother was martyred. But he never wavered from his service of the Lord. There was never a time where he said, you know what, it was just too much. I can't keep doing this. I've got to take my ball and go home. He just kept serving the Lord. He's exiled on Patmos and forced to work manual labor, but his relationship with the Lord never falters. John's perspective was not, woe is me, but hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, that Christ is in me, and I'm going to serve you. How many times in these last few years have we seen people who built these incredible ministries whose life just blew up all around them? 
And I don't bring that up so that we can relitigate something or so we can point fingers at these people. If anything, I bring it up to say, you know what, being a celebrity pastor is really hard. We probably should be praying for these people. But how many times have we seen people who built these incredible ministries and seem like everything was good and then all of a sudden it comes out that that wasn't the case? Let's even just take it more to a personal level. How many times have we seen believers and, and Christian friends around us that we thought were walking with the Lord, that everything was going good, that suddenly just said, you know what, I quit? I had a family member who was going to a church and just in the last few years they've had to go through a pastor transition because this pastor at 70 years of age decided I'm done living for the Lord I'm leaving my wife and I'm going to take up with another woman it is hard to faithfully follow the Lord for a whole life and for me as I've watch these things i've heard these things as my heart's been broken over these things one of the things the lord's just impressed on me for my own life is i think sometimes for me and maybe for us as the church like it's easy to look to people with a big platform and say they're the ones we ought to follow and the truth is i've maybe come more around to the way of thinking of i just want to find somebody who's lived a long 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 time with jesus and been faithful and i just want to follow those people because they did it They've walked through persecution. They faced hard times. They've had seasons they weren't expecting. And they followed the Lord. They kept going. Because they've walked with the Lord for so many years, these people tend to have this humility around them, this, this grace that I, I just, I want to have that. Because I want to follow Jesus too. I think about people like my friend Lloyd, who was a pastor in this area for many years. At a certain point, he developed this incredible back pain. Chronic, they're having all these hard times getting rid of it, and he ended up having to retire from ministry at his church. And you, know, you would think, okay, thanks for serving. Now you probably got to start taking care of yourself, right? But for Lloyd, it was not, okay, I'm done in ministry. It was, I'm just looking for what the next chapter is. So this guy who's got this incredible pain may have it for the rest of his life said you know what what do i want to do what am i passionate about got connected with a ministry called city to city serving pastors in japan i'm not even sure how he sits on that flight for 12 hours with the back pain that he has but he does it to go and to serve the lord to tell people about jesus to build up these pastors so that they can do ministry to serve the lord people like my friend david who came to faith later in life but just said you know what I, I work at this auto repair shop I'm going to live for Jesus here that's what I've got I'm going to do it and he starts telling people about the Lord and starts leading people to Christ and I love it because when I go in it seems like he's always got a story or somebody's coming in and he's going hey that's a person I had a chance to share the gospel with years and years ago and look at them they're walking with the Lord praise God that's what I want to be like think about people like my grandpa, Sam Moore, some of you guys know Steve Samore. He teaches a class here. Incredible man. He's a missionary. He's a pastor. He's a Christian educator. But I got maybe to know him the best when we were both custodians at Desert Springs Community Church. He worked outside. I did the building on the inside. And I cherish those conversations that we had around the water cooler 
where I saw the heart of a man who had lived faithfully for the Lord for decade after decade after decade, basically saying, whatever I do, I'm just going to do it to the best of my ability for the Lord. Another thing I love about my grandfather <laughs> is he's one of those guys that just anytime he has a conversation with somebody, he's going to ask him about Jesus. I love that. Just a couple weeks ago, there's somebody that came over for a family thing, didn't know where they were at spiritually. He's right over there talking to him about Christ. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to be when I'm his age, and that's what I want to be now. Those are the kind of people that I want to get around because I want to have their perspective. I want to see things the way they do. I want to live faithfully like they do. We may ask, well, how do we faithfully follow the Lord with our lives? And I think that the reality is Jesus has got to be first. When I wake up, when I go to sleep, every moment in between has got to be the Lord's. And I think for a lot of us as Christians, this is maybe the rub that we struggle with. I know it is for me at times. Is that we've got to change our perspective from our perspective to God's perspective so we can live for him. I'm getting to that point in my life, I had LASIK uh, probably about 11 years ago, something like that, maybe 12 years ago now. A great vision ever since then, thankful for that. But I've started noticing in the last like six months, things are getting blurry again. I'm like, oh, hello darkness, my old friend, I remember you, okay, cool, this is not how I remember it. And there's something magical uh, for those of you that struggle with eyesight things about that moment where you put your glasses on for the first time. You know what I'm talking about? You're driving to the appointment and everything's blurry. It's fuzzy. You're kind of like, all right, I think that might be a mailbox. Cool, we'll see you later. And you're just like, I hope we get there. Everything's going to be good. And then you put those glasses on and all of a sudden it's like the world just like snaps into like focus. There's clarity everywhere. Oh yeah, I can see fine details on that. I understand where I'm going. I'm not questioning what this might be. And for us as believers, that's often how it is when we go from seeing things from our perspective to seeing them God's way. Because we think we know what we want to do. We think we know what's going to lead us to the best thing. We think we've got it all figured out. But when we see it from God's perspective, it changes. Suddenly we go, oh, okay, that's where God wants me to go. He put this relationship in my life not to bother me, but so that I could go and share Jesus with them. He's giving me opportunities to serve him right where I'm at. I want to go do this. We see things from God's perspective. It changes how we see the world. It changed how John saw the world. It's no surprise when Jesus shows up that John was ready to go. You got an assignment for me? Let's do this. John was always ready because he saw things from God's perspective. So when God showed up with a big task for John, John was ready to go. Verse 10, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. Now, I just want to tell you, and this is the most Steve-like thing I've ever said, but I do not have enough time to talk to you about all the cool stuff that's in these couple verses. So my encouragement to you is study this on your own. There's a lot of amazing stuff here. But basically what he's saying is, look... 
I'm in the Spirit on a Sunday, and when it's talking about in the Spirit, what he's saying there is that I am having this incredible, what I would say is beyond a normal Spirit-filled experience. We see similar things happen to other people in the Scripture. We see Ezekiel talk about this in Ezekiel chapter 3. Uh, Peter in Acts 10, Paul in Acts 22. Uh, one commentator described this, this in-the-spirit state that John is experiencing as a state in which the ordinary faculties of the flesh are suspended and the inward senses opened. Robert Thomas goes on to kind of bring this more into context. He says this experience is when God brings a man's spirit into direct contact with the invisible spiritual world and with the things in God's own mind, yet in ways that are accommodated to finite human perception. John sees visions of things that are to come. And that's an amazing thing in and of itself, but it shouldn't take away our focus from what really is the best thing, which is that Jesus shows up and begins to speak. A loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. This loud voice clearly indicates the importance and the solemnity of what's about to be spoken. And Jesus gives John two tasks. First one is to write what you see. John's told several times over the book of Revelation to write what he saw. And actually one time not to write what he saw in chapter 10. But he's saying to him, John, I'm going to show this to you, and I want you to faithfully record everything that you see. The second task that he gives John is to send this message to the seven churches. There's a lot of discussion about this. Why these seven churches? Some of these churches are big churches. Some of them are small. What made them stand out enough that these were the churches that were chosen? Well, from what we can tell, it seems like part of the reason why these churches were chosen is because these were all postal district cities. In other words, they were mail hubs. And they were located in a circuitous route. So as this message gets to Ephesus, it's going to begin to circulate around the area of Asia Minor. And that message is going to be taken from these postal districts and even have a wider reach. It's also likely that these seven churches were chosen because they are representative or maybe the best representatives of the issues that are being addressed in each region. You know, I'm sure for John, as he's getting these instructions, hey, write what you see, and then we're going to send this all out, there probably were some questions that could have come to his mind. Like for one, how exactly am I supposed to get this message out anywhere? I'm in exile. How am I supposed to communicate these visions? But, God, but John knew that God would provide, and John was going to be faithful. John was given some major assignments, but he was ready for the task that was set before him to see, record, and send the book of Revelation to the church. Why? Because being humbly faithful to the Lord was woven into John's character. You know, this has been a fun week for me. I've loved studying this passage. John's life, it just really encourages me. Here's a guy who faithfully lived for the Lord till the end of his life. He endured persecution and suffering well. He didn't take his title or status for granted. He just humbly lived for the Lord. And so as we kind of get to the takeaway portion, I was thinking, okay, how do I want to apply this? What I want us to do is I just want us to reflect. We've walked through this this morning. We've just looked at how John describes himself, how he thinks about himself, his situation, his perspective. 
And I would like for us to maybe think about that too. John described himself as a brother, a servant, a follower of Christ. How would you describe yourself? What do you value? What are the things that you want people to know about you? Maybe you're having a hard time with this. If you ask somebody to write it out on a three-by-five card, what they think you think about yourself, what would they say? John could have taken all these different titles that he had and used those to try to put emphasis behind his message. But instead he just said, you know what, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a brother and a fellow partaker in the task that is set before us. John, when he's writing this book, is writing from the Isle of Patmos, suffering persecution. What's your situation? These good days? These hard days? How do you like your job? What's your family situation like? Whatever situation you're in, whatever season you're in, does your perspective line up with John's? Do you view things through the me lens or the God lens? Lord, am I living for you? Am I praying? Am I seeking you? Am I asking for your direction? How often do I go to your word just to spend time with you? Do we look at life and ask, how can we faithfully serve the Lord today? What I love about John's story is all this stuff was true of him. His perspective was right before God ever showed up. And when God showed up with that task, he was ready to go. Each one of us that's here today, we have a unique task that the Lord has laid before us. Maybe it's an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody that nobody else has an opportunity to. Maybe it's to be an encouragement to believers in a unique way. Maybe it's to take our gifts and talents and serve the Lord with them. John was faithful to the task that the Lord set before him. And we are called to be faithful too. Whether that's at a 9 to 5 job or exiled on Patmos. John was faithful because his focus was Jesus. Will we be faithful with the task that God has set before us? Let's pray.